Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are local and independent grain traders, from seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts. They can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two whilst sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 3rd of April 2023. Yep, I'm back. I've had a nice holiday, thank you very much. I don't know if you noticed, but when I went on holiday, the market collapsed. And the day I flew back, it rallied a tenner. So it's all about me, you know. Nothing, nothing to do with the weather or politics. It's all about me. My, waking up from my stupor of uh, delusion. Yeah, missed you all. Nice to be back. I do apologise for being slightly wrong. Three weeks ago, I made a prediction about where the prices would be on the day I came back. And on the new crop, I said it'd be 218 on the NOV. And of course, on the 27th of March, it traded in a range between 213 and 219. And therefore, 218 was smack on the nose. So, yeah, I'll take that one. However, the bit was slightly wrong. On the 27th of March, the price for May was in fact 208. And I'd said 210, so I do apologise. I will mention that in the period in between those dates, the market went as low as 191 on the May futures, which is. Well, we did say to people they've got to sort out their May long. Now, whether that was our influence or whether, I don't know quite what happened there, but it was a very hairy moment for anyone sitting long of old crop feed wheat. So on that subject, that particular subject, I mean, that I do believe the market's come back over £200 a tonne. It's trading only just above it at the moment. In my opinion, I think old crop wheat on the futures will go below 200 and end up trading out at a lower level. I appreciate there's export going on at the moment, but the actual dynamic of cost of paying for the stuff up front, rent, and where the location of the store is being random against where you're putting your ship out of is probably too much of a risk. So I do see futures, old crop, uh, the same as I said three weeks ago, I do see that one under immense pressure as we go into April. And I think we'll be trading that down into the low 190s or lower possibly. Now, that doesn't mean to say that Feed Wheat X Farm is necessarily going to drop as much because the relationship between X Farm and Futures has not corrected itself yet. So there is room for X Farm to not drop anywhere near as much as that. However, the sentiment of the market getting kicked on Futures will definitely seep into the X Farm values that you are bid by your local trader. So not great news, Old Crop Feed Wheat. Current value of it if you are a store member, would be about 202 for May. X Farm currently, I would say, I don't know, 190, 198. That's quite aggressive. Don't really want any May wheat, but yeah, I'll, I'll say 198 because no by the time this goes out, the market will change anyway. And if you look at June, I think we'd be 200. And if you look at July, we'd be 204. Now, those are aggressive prices. I don't know, we'll see. On any given moment that someone's phoning us up and trying to trade with us, we have to make a call. The market, as I say, I think the delivered premium over futures is going to increase eventually. 
we don't mind going to ports. Other, other people don't like going to ports and they sell it at a three or four pound discount into a consumer, which I don't get because the quality of this year's crop is exceptional. And the ports largely have been, um, you know, by normal standards, relatively fair this year. All right, that's feed wheat. Nice happy story of misery. Oilseed rape, even more misery, although that hit a low of 345x farm. There's been a rally in that. And we've got that market completely wrong, as anyone who's listened to the podcast knows. So you have to take that on the chin. I'm sorry, we're not pleased with it. It's not made us any money. It's made us a loss, in fact, on some. But yeah, not overwhelmingly cheerful. I, I guess we'll, instead of having 500 as a goal, it's 400 now. And current value sort of 370, something like that. So death or glory, we'll run it a bit longer, possibly. As far as feed barn is concerned, that's at a kicking as well. I mean, it's been as low as 165x. Bounced a bit when someone came in and bought some. I, I don't know quite where to price it. I don't need any. Um, so we'll say 165x is the value of feed barley. Um, malting barley, old crop. Currently, I think the range of delivered prices is somewhere between 250 to 265 depending on the grade, depending on the nitrogen uh, and the variety. So it's you know, if you've got something to tidy up, start waving it around now. Do you think the weather... Uh, which always plays some sort of trick during May and June. That's when the crop is really made, as we all know. So it's the hiccups in the weather that affect, obviously, the base of, of production in terms of yield across the whole whole cereal sector, but very specifically on quality of malting barley. And if you want to start you know, jangling the nerves of your maltster who might suddenly start being a bit more inclined to shove a contract in front of your nose at the moment, you have to say that the Scottish crop has not gone in the ground. They are going to be later than they have been in recent years, which possibly pushes them back a little bit with their harvesting period, which might just mean they get a slightly more traditional, damp Scottish harvest than the luxurious dry ones they've had in recent times. So, And they've still got to get the stuff planted. So let's just say that is slightly bullish, just a little, little nudge in the right direction. New crop prices... Again, it's the sentiment is shirt-tailing old crop, and I think that new crop has lots of reasons to have optimism about it. If you were to trade it in the next two weeks, I think it's going to go down with the sentiment of old crop. I don't see any problems. The weather is benign. The European weather is brilliant. Largely, there's crops looking in great condition, with the exception of Argentina at this moment. There's been an enormous Australian crop. Yes, there's a smaller Ukrainian crop. Yes, there's a smaller Russian crop. But our crops look brilliant. They couldn't have looked any better at any point. Everybody is saying how well they look. And, you know, the spring barley that went into East Anglia in February just is amazing. At the moment, it's been a perfect start. And everything, the wheat is steaming away. Rape is beginning to come into flower. So there's lots of positivity about how your crops look at the moment. But we come back to the point, the crop is made in May not in March or April. Okay, so no problems with production, therefore the sentiment has to continue on the slightly downward trajectory. Today, as I understand it, the government's signing a Asia-Pacific deal, which is great. We can now bring palm oil in. Brilliant Brexit deal here, where every £100 spent is worth an extra 0.08p per, you know, for every 100 quid you get 8 pence back, which is great. Versus, I will add, if you spent £100 in Europe in our previous deal, it's worth about £4 odd something. So, yeah, it's a tremendously big advert for how good that Brexit deal was. And, and you're killing a few orangutans at the same time, probably. So let's nail that one to your cross, too. 
Just on the market report side of things, obviously on a daily basis, or not daily, but every other day or every two or three days, we put on our app a market report. So daily, Ben, Josh or Webby will be putting stuff on there. So there is a bit which shows you market prices. So if you're not using the app, it might be worth having a look. Sometimes we, you know, in between our podcasts, there's a whole week's worth of price movements of £30 a (laughs) tonne. which, you know, has reasons. And sometimes if you want to check up on that, we do put market reports in the news section. So if you find it, tap into that. That might fill in the gaps where you're missing us. Right, so finally, as I say, we're back. This week's podcast is Ben and Ian talking to George Renner, who's a Rutland farmer. And he's, you know, it's an interesting take. He's got on a number of things. And he's not your archetypal Norfolk boy. But here's some very interesting statements like, you know, why on earth are we doing all this red tractor stuff when in fact, you know, other people are now signing deals where they can have no cost whatsoever on assurance and just send their stuff over. So why do you have that price disadvantage? So, you know, that's something which I think with these trade deals going on, farmers possibly need to make a bit more noise about. But that's, I think trade assurance is great. I think ensuring people have quality is great. But level playing fields? Mm. Anyway, so there's an interesting chat with him. And then... The only other thing I think I've got to mention is, obviously, we look at other companies and we watch what they do and we think, do you know what? What a great idea. So there's, we've looked at these, there's a certain company that has pictures of people on the side of their lorries. And you look at them, it's, it's, it's kind of clearly there to make out that they're human or that they give a shit. And so we thought, you know, we need to pretend that too. We need to like have our little faces on the side of lorries. So as from tomorrow, you know, as we step into April, I want you to look out for some of the Doing Grain team appearing on the sides of lorries with a nice little smile on. So uh, first person to spot one of them, you can get a free Doing Grain pen. Anyway, with that, have a lovely, <laughs> lovely week's trading and we'll catch you next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. The Doing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications, informing you on what Doing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Doing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download. And with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731550 or email info at doinggrain.co.uk. And now it's time for the farm chat. So today we have a farmer with us who's not from Norfolk, which is quite surprising. It's a guy I've known for over 25 years. He's a third generation tenant farmer in Rutland and his name's George Renner. Hello, George. Hello. And George and I have been lifelong friends, and he... When did you fully take over the farm, George? Oh, actually, that's a debatable point, because your father's still there, isn't he? still there, so I haven't fully taken over it yet. But I came back to the farm in 97, and I've been working full-time on it since then. Yeah. Okay. I'm now a joint tenant since 2006. Okay. Oh, and I've got Webby with me. I'd just like to say, George, thank you very much for making the trip, but... The thing that I'm loving most is we've actually met one of Ben's friends in person. He keeps talking about friends, but we never believe him. He, so. he does have them. <laughs> Miracles do happen. Some of, them are, some of them are quite nice. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you making the journey all the way from lovely Rutland. I said earlier, I, uh, 
I had a trip, we had a grain trade do, and one of the jobs was to go and get a rugby shirt from Leicester for Leicester boys, and I drove unknowingly straight through your patch, I think, didn't I? Yep, just the other side of the water box. An absolutely beautiful area of the countryside. It is, I hate to say it, but an area that I'd probably rather live in than Norfolk. That's a punchy statement, Webby. And you mostly grow seed, don't you? Yeah, that's our main crop. It's your main breadwinner. Our main enterprise. That's it. Nice one. Okay. Now, we've got you on here because, you know, over the years, you've been engaged in a lot of different areas. And I know that recently, you know, you and I started chatting about, well, I started moaning at you about the e-passport and you started moaning at me about Red Tractor. And we kind of realised we had a bit of an overlap. It does seem like there's a bit of synergy between the two issues in that it disproportionately affects the smaller producers or the smaller trading houses. So, um, yeah, it does seem... So coming back to Red Tractor, what first started to irk you about Red Tractor, the whole... Because, look, you've been a lifelong member of Red Tractor, in effect. I know it's the only body you can be a member of, but, you know... Well, partly it's the monopoly status of it, because we haven't got any other option. It's also the slow... Well, not even slow-creeping standards. The standards incrementally getting tougher, and not really in any way that affects food security. It, It just seems like it's rules for the sake of proving that they can make it slightly more complicated the next time round. <laughs> Many farmers don't really have any, any option. And it's, it's also the disparity between routes to market that imports can have are not allowed for UK farmers. And it just seems unfair, especially seeing as now we're losing BPS. So you know, we, are, we need to be on a level playing field with foreign producers. Yeah, I mean, that is a debate we have here a lot of the time, isn't it, Webby? Oh, 100%. I mean, the, the one that springs to mind is the first one is neonics coming into, or neonic treated rapeseed coming into the UK. It's completely unbiased, unfair, unfair, unlevel playing field. The only, I mean, I accept your points. The only counter is the red tractor. We were discussing this. Some farmers need something to regulate them because otherwise it's a bit like, um, you know, you do your, some people need like a bit of a tidy up moment, something to inspire them to do it otherwise some of them aren't fully fit for purpose. I mean, I know that's a bit that's going to go down really bad with some people. Yeah, I can understand where you're coming from. But then on the imports front, how do you know that those farms are 10 times worse? They still have a route into our market, essentially through a suite of what seems to be a £1,000 worth of tests. And that can get 60,000 tonnes in, so less than two pence a tonne, you're up to the same standard. And no on-farm inspection. What is your, where would you like to see it go? What's your... Well, it'd be nice if we had parity. I mean, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be a red tractor assurance, but if people want to have that level of assurance, it should be paid for. And if they don't, which clearly some homes don't because they're prepared to have this imported assurance, then, you know, why isn't that open to British farmers? It seems like we have to give them the premium level of assurance. We have no choice. It's either that or nothing. So are you saying pretty much we need to be regulating our imports more? Well, either you regulate your imports or you allow British farmers to produce to the same standards. The same standard, that. yeah. I, mean, I think the hard debate you've got there, the neonic debate, I mean, having traded the rapeseed book, you know, it's a misery trying to grow rapeseed without neonics. Yeah. You know, it's a complete lottery. Well, I don't anymore. You, yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. People have given up because the lottery a bit. But then I do, you know, neonics and the bee population you've got that debate you know it probably is right not using neonics but 
on that. But is it then right to encourage other people to use neonics in foreign countries? Yeah, exactly. We should have a complete right. No neonic seed is coming to the UK if we're leveling it up. Yeah, I mean it's it's very interesting this whole point of what Red Tractor now does on farm. I mean, look, when I first started in the grain trade, and you probably do remember this, George, but it was ACCS. So it was the ACCS standard. It came in, it must have been... The early 2000s, I think. Early 2000s, yeah. And we then had a two-tier market. We had farmers who were non-assured, farmers who were ACCS-assured, and all of a sudden there was a price disparity, and then that disparity got larger and larger until it it became uneconomic for farmers to be non-assured. You couldn't be, because your grain or your produce couldn't go anywhere. And I think, and as Ian says, you know, it kind of set a standard. It meant grain stores didn't have glass covers in their lights and, you know, they were better weatherproofed and vermin-proofed. And there were lots of other things that went with it. But it just seems over the years there has been a mission creep, for want of a better word. And the onus now is totally on you as the farmer. And as you say, the onus goes up more and more, which seems to go up more and more every year, but you're not getting any benefit from it. No, the benefit's completely evaporated. You know, it's just cost with no real option to do anything else. Where do you think this is going to go, George? Do you feel there's a bit of a groundswell? Or... Yes, there definitely is. There's a group of farmers who have got themselves together trying to put pressure called the British Farming Union. They're trying to galvanise support and pushing hard with the AHDB and trying to get traction with the AIC, but that's this dumbling block. Bureaucracies, they're always there. And they always have an ulterior motive. But, I mean, it's interesting because obviously, you know, when I was talking to you about the e-passport, listeners to this will know how vocal we've been about this, and certainly Andrew. Yes, there is this this sort of quiet drive, it feels like, behind the scenes to get these things through, but with no real thought as to, actually, let's look at the detail of this. And, and certainly from our side... As merchants, the e-passport, the onus does seem to be more on us. And as you say, the smaller farmer, the smaller merchant, it pro rata will cost us more to do this. So there needs to be a balance here. And, you know, your discussions on, well, is Red Tractor actually serving its purpose and doing anything to help the British farmer, apart from add cost, I don't know, it's something that needs to be seriously looked at, doesn't it? It doesn't feel like they're helping me. Yeah, which is fair enough. And obviously, there's a lot of farmers out there that say the same. I mean, you know, on the QT, we have farmers saying, oh, I've got my red tractor audit, oh, I've got to do, you know, do this, do that. And Webby made a good, you know, when we were talking about the e-passport, we're kind of going down, we, you could almost forget the digital, forget the passport, because the passport's getting more and more onerous, isn't it? Yep. More boxes to tick, more things to fill in. Just get rid of it. The farmer has his red tractor audit, gets a QR code, you've passed... It does seem a bit strange on the passport. You, know, you, you tick the same box every time, but you're not going to have failed some of the uh, criteria that you're ticking in from one passport to the next. You know, I completely... Well, um, my only view, the only real valid point on a passport is your post-harvest treatments. Yeah. You know, if something's been treated, but in my eyes, is if you've had something treated, well, then you've just got a piece of paper, a slip that goes and says, right, this has been treated. Other than that, the relevance, you know, the, the mycotoxin tests, the risk assessments... I'm 95% certain that most farmers don't do them. And it's uh, like a, what should it be? Well, it, Put I mean, down seven. You know, it's like... It almost matters more what you write down to what you actually do with Red Tractor. And if you know what to write down, 
that's the important bit as far as they're concerned. You know, it's all self-declaration anyway. Yeah. All they do is come round and make sure that you've declared what you ought to. We did have quite a funny conversation because someone did come into our office once that was involved in the whole process and they once declared that the national average that came in on farmers' passports was physically unachievable. It just was impossible. But it's because farmers do exactly that. It's like your score risk assessments is weather patterns, isn't it? Isn't Basically, it? yeah. Rain at time flowering. Blah, Previous blah, blah. cropping. Yeah. Um, and so I they... Have, knew, I have done knew, mine. They knew from their... <laughs> very good, very good. They knew from their analysis that the level, the national average was unachievable from the actual data. And it's just all made up, isn't it? Unfortunately, that's... Well, and it, it is a bit ambiguous as to... You can massage the figures because the criteria is not absolutely defined mm. so you know you well i mean the auditors that come on farm so we get audited for by the aic for task right the trade assurance scheme for combinable crops you can't trade crops in the uk without that assurance so we get our audits and yes they're fine you know they keep us in check they make sure our paperwork's right da, 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 da. the auditors that come onto farm for you they're all right are they they're just some and some i mean i have to say i've been pretty lucky with the ones that I've had over the years, but you do hear of, well, I know some people have had shocking experiences. It is a stressful event because they do have the power to shut your business down, essentially, because you've made an honest mistake or you've not done something, and people find that pretty stressful in the yeah. run-up to it. And my, my spray shed door is no longer acceptable, but the rules in the rule book have been written in more open language, and yet the inspectors are enforcing it more rigidly. There was no way I could read the rules and find out that it would fail this year until the inspector told me that's not good enough, it needs to be metal-lined. Oh, blimey. It's been fine for the last goodness knows how many years, but now it's not. Yeah, it's things like that, you're right, that are just like... And the other favourite at the minute is a sign on the spray shed door saying it must say no smoking and no naked flames or something like that. And if you've just got no smoking, that's a, that's a fail as well. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, no, we're, um, it's one of those things. We'll, it's a very interesting debate, George. I feel that there's more to come on this, definitely. Certainly, the e-passport thing, there's lots of discussions going on behind the scenes. And a lot of the smaller independent merchants in the UK are certainly pushing back on the e-passport. And I can see why farmers are sitting there going, yeah, red tractor, really, you know? Yeah, I mean, as I said earlier... If people want assurance, then farmers will give them that assurance. But we can't do that and compete against people that are getting that same level of assurance for 2p a tonne. Yeah, very true, very true. Right, we'll leave that there. Let's go on to, because as I said in the introduction, you're a fascinating farmer, George, in that you never kind of sit still, you're always doing something, and you're heavily engaged in a robot weeding project. Yeah, this was a new one, started on in June last year got involved with a company called RWAC and Lincoln University, developing an a autonomous robot weeder for hoeing into row in, well, first of all, cereals, but moving into other crops as we get more experience. <laughs> so talk us through the machine. I mean, roughly how big is it? How does it work? Is it petrol batteries? What's it's electric-driven, got 105-amp-hour, 48-volt uh, battery. We're aiming for between six to eight hours working time with it on a charge. Got to do some real-world testing to see where we are with that and how we've got to 
what sort of batteries we need to actually achieve that and whether that's realistic, but I think it is. It's steered by RTK at the minute. Lincoln University are developing camera sensing to move a side shift to get a bit more accuracy on the actual hoeing element. That's their involvement. And yeah, that's, that's where we're... And have you had it out on the fields? I've had a few test runs. I should be back at the farm wiring it up to get it back in the field as soon as this weather dries up. But I'm here talking to you. Quite right. <laughs> <laughs> Some might say I haven't quite got my priorities right today, but there we go. <laughs> Listen, you're getting a lunch out of this, boy. Actually, yeah. Fair point. Yeah. So you've actually you've had it going in the field. And was it steered by satellite? Or yeah, GPS satellite corrected with RTK down to a bit under an inch at repeatable accuracy. Blimey. So yeah, it, uh, it did well in my first up and downs on the field through RTK drilled crops. So yeah, I was really pleased. There's a few more tweaks to do, but we're working on it. Just to sort of understand the scale, what sort of width machine are you talking about? I mean, how many rows or quarters were you uh, It's six rows. It's a metre and a half working width at the minute. We've got plenty of power to go a bit wider. So, you know, we're in early days on the actual delivery and, of it. And is it a precision-based hoe, as in that it's identifying foreign weeds in there, or is it literally sort of weeding between the rows? At the minute, with the work that I'm doing on it, it's weeding between the rows. Lincoln are doing weed identification, so it might lift coulters out where there are no weeds to preserve battery life and get further yeah, wow. on. But, you know, we want to get something... That farmers, we think there'll be two tiers. There'll be one that is basically just GPS steered and another which will have the cameras and then there might be a couple of levels of integration with the cameras. So It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, we had someone on the podcast, there was a small robot, so I think, that yeah. came with a similar sort of... But, yeah, surely innovation in farming is incredible, really, what the next 20 years is going to bring. So it's quite exciting times, really. Yeah, well, soils don't like big heavy tractors but farmers do so (laughs) 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 gotta gotta sort of break that somehow and there's no solar panels is there no not at the minute and for the power output that we're using it's debatable whether it will really give us any significant cost benefits yeah okay and what's the time scale on this you i mean are they open-ended george well it will be an ongoing development i mean it would be nice to think we could get something available to farmers next spring, but that's a really tight timescale, and we've got a lot of work to do on user interface before that's sort of really possible. Depends how techy the farmer is, probably. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Whether well, this has been discussed, because you're obviously early stages, but, I mean, what sort of uh, capital outlay would someone have to go to for that? Is it going to compete? I'm pushing hard to keep it as affordable as possible, mm-hmm. and for the techie farmer, I would like it to be they could do a good way of good amount of maintenance on it without really needing us to come and sort things out and update software i want it to be you know i'm a farmer i don't want to call the dealer every five minutes yeah but that's yeah. what you've got to do if yeah, you've got a modern yeah. tractor and i think i mean the other thing is you know sustainability is the big word isn't it at the moment and that ticks every box of that doesn't it really yeah. surely yeah chemical free weeding potentially and once you can do things into row potentially there's other things like into row seeding for cover crops and things like that so how did you get if you don't mind how did you get involved in that then did you just do you get an approach or would be uh, an eccentric of... uncle oh really <laughs> <laughs> who ben knows oh, yeah. oh brilliant yes as ian was saying i mean god sustainability less spraying less heavy tractors on the land i mean you'd almost be organic george 
Yeah, well, I do know a couple of organic farmers and they are quite excited about it. So, yeah, um, yeah there's no reason it shouldn't be used for, for whoever wants to use it. And the trials you've had with it, it's been effective? Well, we haven't actually got... We know hose are effective. Yeah. So that's... You know, a given. 10,000 years of, <laughs> of working that one out, basically. We haven't got that data for this. You know, that's what the work is this spring with Lincoln University is going to be working out uh, kill ratios and damage to crop and things for the various levels of accuracy that the uh, hoe will potentially have. So, yeah, that's this spring's work, which is why I need to get these <laughs> wired up faster. Yeah, sorry about that, George. <laughs> I mean, I must admit, you know, but again, here's a project that you're doing. I mean, essentially, you're doing it for free, aren't you? No, I am getting paid. Oh, are you? <laughs> oh, Keep that one quiet. No, but okay, but you know, it's... I'm good value for money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's put it that way yeah you must be good value for money because you know i've been around your farm i've seen the machine you know it's a pretty hefty bit of kit and you do do quite a lot of work on it don't you and yeah it stretched my brain this winter i will have to say that <laughs> <laughs> okay no that's good coming back on to so the seed varieties yep you being you know so what level of seed are you growing mainly basic and pretty basic okay Come on then, what's looking good? What have you got in and what's looking quite good? For RAGT, we've got the old stalwart of Skyfall and then a new one called RAGT Grouse. Uh, oh, hang on, so talk, what's Grouse? That is a BYVD resistant new variety following on from Wolverine. Better agronomic package, better yield Okay. with BYVD. So that's the new one from RAGT that we've got. We've got a new one from Elsom's called Bamford. That's looked really well all winter, established really nicely. And sorry, Bamford's a what? It's a... I think it's group three, but probably ought to check that out. Haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But that, yeah, that, that's looking well, yeah? Yes, it has. It looked really well all winter. Oh, good. And then we've got Sartorial for Agrivista. Sartorial. Which is a group four. It's not actually on the list. It's an in-house variety for them. Good agronomic package. Again, good establishment in the autumn mm-hmm. it's first year growing that first year growing grouse it's first year growing bamford so yield results i can't really talk about yet but no but all looking all good. looks nice yeah not really knowing huge amounts about the seed trade but are for some of the basics and pre-basics are there other growers of certain varieties or are you the sole is it all in your hands uh not this time but we have been in that position but that's quite a rare event because obviously there's a kind of risk and awful lot like of that, sort of investment yeah. gone into yeah, getting the seed to that stage so um yeah. they like to spread it about both geographically and around have you, have you had any sort of main surely there aren't loads of sort of pre-basis but have you had any mainstays that have you know historically started with you i'm just trying to think of uh, well skyfall we've grown since before it was on the list you know that will be I, would, I would name, suspect the, the, now, um, the variety of my farming career i think because you know it's just been so, oh, yeah. so huge success story isn't it really yeah. yeah and there's nothing to knock it off the pedestal yet isn't there and not that i'm aware of it's no uh, it's you know it's got the quality it's it's yellow rust is is a bit weak now but uh, you know everything else about it's still good so and do you grow any commercial crops are you solely solely seed man i have got a little bit of commercial in the ground this year but only only 10 hectares um just to fill I need to be sure I can segregate my seed lots, and I was running out of shed spaces that I could I segregate. Just, just so thinking that is, you, yeah, you must have, so you have to, There's a lot of planning to make sure that up. you don't bite off more than you can chew, and you know, you've got to clean your combine out, and that's 
a good few hours to half a day between varieties which and do they come to you for trial data as well or is it always the trials elsewhere is it? trials are all elsewhere i mean i do do some work with basf and adas on trials work but that's a different sort of all right well look thanks a lot george really good chat very interesting from lots of different perspectives hopefully our friendship will continue for another 25 years Depends how good lunch is, I suppose. Oh, here we go. But, you know, I mean, thanks for coming over, and I think it's been really good. Yeah, thank you, George. It's mega. Thanks for making the trip. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get updates on new episodes and when they are released. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 550 or email info at The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio, a full-service creative agency specialising in websites, digital marketing and branding. Get in touch to inquire with their friendly team on info at eastcoastdesignstudio.co.uk.